Checker Mark Boyer, and on the phone, Dennis McDougal. Dennis, welcome to the show. Your your most recent masterpiece, Operation White Rabbit. Boy, it's uh, just the title alone brings back a lot of memories. I just never could figure well, out how my wallpaper could be paisley on Friday night, but not Saturday morning. Yeah, well, some people would all call those uh, those memories, bro, but uh, other people would call them flashbacks. Oh. You went to some big event somewhere. January of 2006, I invited myself and my uh, co-producer to um, Dr. Albert Hoffman's 100th birthday celebration in Basel, Switzerland, uh, Playboy magazine. A, a large deal, as they say. Anyway, we got a Q&A uh, assignment from uh, Playboy magazine, so we put it over to uh, Switzerland and um, got Dr. Hoffman to uh, answer a passel of questions about the discovery of LSD, and that paid our way. But when we got there, when we wound up in Basel, it uh, turns out that this is like a, a major um, festi- festivity, I suppose. Uh, it's like a three- or four-day convention that evolved out of his birthday, uh, and virtually every major figure uh, in the world of psychedelics uh, who is still alive uh, showed up for this wingding. And uh, we decided on the spot that uh, this would be like a golden opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime, to try to get all of these people uh, on camera. Being, you know, some of them expired shortly thereafter, so uh, it turned out to be a pretty good uh, decision. So we hired a, a Swiss uh, camera crew and set up a shop outside of the auditorium where most everything was happening. For the next couple of days, we grabbed anybody who walked by, sat them down in front of the fleet light, and uh, interviewed them about... Uh, uh, their role in the evolution of psychedelics. And, wow. Uh, Valuable historical documents you have there. It is. It, it really is, Burl. And, and, we, we, and I still have it. And I still, you know, I started working on uh, a series I called The Acid Chronicles. Um, got three episodes into a six-episode um, 
series and ran out of money and time and interest. Uh, so it sits up in my uh, hard drive upstairs uh, waiting to be resurrected. And one of these days I'm going to have to get around to doing it because some of these people, I mean, probably half of them are, are dead now. Uh, but they all had a, a pivotal, pivotal role in one way or another uh, in LSD and, and uh, psilocybin and all of the psychedelics that are now coming back into uh, the limelight. After Life magazine came out with that article, I think it was the same issue at Tina Turner on the cover, that uh, everything went to hell for uh, LSD and then years later, same thing with uh, MDMA. Life magazine did a big story, and bang, same thing happened. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, and you you can lay the blame pretty easily, I think, at the uh, the the feet of Richard Nixon because he decided shortly after his uh, first uh, residency in the White House that uh, Timothy Leary was his mortal enemy. And uh, and that, uh, you know, Leary's pronouncement that everyone should drop acid and then drop out, ruining the youth of America. So he engineered the creation of the Drug Enforcement Administration, which, in my estimation, is one of the most useless federal agencies ever created, supplemented that with the uh, law that uh, outlawed psychedelics in 1970 and made uh, made LSD uh, a, um, a Schedule One drug. They couldn't even do research on it anymore, could they? Well, they could, but they had to jump through so many hoops that most people just didn't bother with it because, uh, you know, it was, it was essentially declared a, a, a useless um, drug that uh, did nothing more than... Um, uh, wreak havoc and promote addiction, all of which is bullshit. But, um, you know, getting back to uh, Operation White Rabbit, I, I think that I, I think that, um, you know, William Leonard Picard is his full name. Uh, the, I, I think that the reason that the, the DEA uh, developed a hard on for him uh, was because you know, he was the logical successor to um, the early LSD chemists like, like uh, Owsley Stanley. Mm-hmm. And uh, Picard never learned his lesson. I mean, he got busted more than once and finally wound up doing uh, some federal hard time in Terminal, Terminal Island in the late 80s for, I think, four or five years. But he always contended and rightly so in my mind, uh, that uh, at least insofar as um, uh, harm to the individual, that Leary was right, that LSD does not make you jump off of buildings and does not make you wander into uh, heavy freeway traffic, uh, does not make you stand in front of uh, 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 a moving locomotive. Now, this Picard guy received two life sentences Plus 20 years. I mean, that's really draconian. Who, as I said before, you know, had been busted several times for DMA and or uh, LSD manufacture. And he said he swore that he was going to go straight. So he got out of Terminal Island. He became a Buddhist monk 
that's how you know sincere he was. Wound up accepted at the Kennedy School at uh, at Harvard, uh, studying to become a, a diplomat. And um, what people didn't know was that uh, on the side, in order to uh, subsidize his his life and his lifestyle, he was a participant in and allegedly the mastermind of uh, an LSD uh, manufacturing concern. The uh, DEA uh, got wind of this from um, this guy, Gordon Skinner, who was also involved in it, uh, and they targeted Picard. And what really made piqued my interest was that you know, they went through the trial, and he was uh, found guilty. Uh, and then the judge sentenced him to not one, but two life sentences. Jeez. Plus, plus 20 years. Well, the big joke was, well, I, I asked Picard one time, why do you think that he added 20 years? And he, well, everybody says it's because, uh, you know, I'm a, a Buddhist monk, and uh, I'll I'll probably, you know, uh, uh, duck out uh, after I die um, into nirvana, and uh, they can't have that. They've got to keep me uh, away from that for an additional 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I I guess that's the only logical thing, I see. And, and, you know, this clown who federal judge that – Sentence was uh, 80 years old at the time. He was uh, senile even then, having all of his clerks um, do the dirty work for him. He just showed up in robes and uh, flapped his gum. They allowed this to happen. They allowed this guy uh, to be sentenced to to two life sentences. I mean, for God's sakes, people. The guy who was just uh, found guilty of uh, killing George Floyd in Minneapolis got uh, a lighter sentence than Picard. I forgot to say, I I just blows my mind. And it blew my mind then, and I decided that I had to find out who this guy was and try to tell his story. You know, 15 years later, I finally got a book out of it. God, take you 15 years to write it, or were you collecting rejection notices? Well, actually, I was collecting um, bits and pieces of help and research from Picard himself uh, deep down in the bowels of uh, Tucson uh, Federal Prison. Mm. Uh, And it took a a lot longer than usual to put the book together over time. I think the actual writing time was like maybe a year. Mm. But uh, putting it all together took that long simply because we... We couldn't communicate face to face. I had to, uh, you know, I had to go through a clearance and get in to see him every time that I wanted to talk. Now I find it interesting that he was in prison for so long under such, as you say, draconian conditions. His leery, as you may recall, even after he he uh, escaped and wound up uh, back in prison, they let him out because of the famous statement by the judge who sentenced him, who said, "We're not, we're not sentencing you." For anything you've done, we're sentencing you for what you believe. That Everybody was, who's ever been arrested for LSD, as far as I'm concerned, is a, a political prisoner. Because it, it, it was always with Leary, and then later on, in, in a worse sense with Picard, um, it was all about their defiance. They were saying, 
they were essentially thumbing their nose at a government saying that you, you can't put something in your own body. And, uh, and they paid the price. You know, in, in the, the so-called uh, you know, free United States of America, uh, you don't cross the DEA, don't cross the FBI, and you don't, certainly don't cross the Department of Justice. Or you go away forever. As if that's going to teach somebody a lesson, and it does teach a lesson, but it's not the one they intend. The the prosecution um, uh, was uh, withholding evidence, which uh, probably would have uh, swung the jury the other way. Uh, we'll never even know, of course, but uh, it took years and years of, uh, uh, of Leonard's appeals from inside prison before uh, the evidence was finally released. And uh, a uh, someone who wanted to take the time to put uh, two and two together would come up with uh, with five because uh, the prosecution's case was um, just riddled with holes. Well, what happened on uh, appeals? The the judge the judges in each of his appeals uh, turned him down. They said uh, probably the most favorable of the bunch um, said that uh, that it was it may have been true that uh, that he that is Picard um, his story was true and then the government uh, may not have been but he had such a, a history of um, drugs and in and out of jail that uh, that they they were going to rule in favor of the government. Well, we had it there. Well, none of it makes much sense if you take a look at, at the paperwork, bro. And we, that's what I wrote in the book. The judge also um, wasn't uh, playing nice with the rules. The judge was 80 years old. And, you know, this, he would not recuse himself, even though Picard's lawyer asked him to do so. And uh, what we got was a guy who was grandstanding for uh, the TV cameras and... Uh, and acting like Judge Hoffman in the Chicago 7. There's a case, a brilliant book by my late great friend Jack Olson called Last Man Standing about the case of Geronimo Pratt. Now, every time his appeal, he was convicted of murder at a time when he was out of town. <laughs> Everybody knew it, but no, he was convicted anyway. Then what was it, 20-some years, most of it in solitary. And every time the appeal would, would go through, it would finally come to the same judge that sent him away. Until finally, after 27 years, 27 years, whatever, it actually went to a different judge who took one look at it and went, oh my God, what the hell is this? And immediately ordered him released. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I had a, a similar experience uh, with a, a book that I never got got published, but uh, uh, it was about the, uh, the American spy, Ed Wilson, uh, who was sent away in... 1981 for allegedly uh, selling uh, weaponry to uh, Gaddafi in, in Libya. Mm -hmm. um, he, he maintained throughout the time that he was in jail that he'd been railroaded by the CIA and that they uh, they set out to put him away because he knew too much about the Reagan administration uh, and, and Iran Contra. So he finally almost the same situation he finally after many many appeals through a new lawyer that he hired in houston it was presented to a different judge 
Right. It took like two years for the guy to render his uh, judgment, but essentially he came back with the most scathing document I've ever seen, dressing down the CIA, uh, accusing every member of the hierarchy uh, of, of the, uh, the agency back in the 80s of uh, being liars, and, uh, and freed Ed Wilson on the spot. He walked right out of the federal prison. Uh, and uh, spent the rest of his life up in Seattle. But, you know, I mean, it's like a perfect, it's, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's who you go to uh, with your story that uh, gives it credence or not. Yeah, if it's going against the, up to the same judge that sent you away, who was in on the frame-up in the first place, you know it's not going to get anywhere. It has to go to a no, different judge. absolutely. And, of course, Pratt uh, got out after 20-some years, uh, and they paid him, I think, $6 an hour. Let's get back to Mr. Picard. I believe Mark Boyer here has kind of a quick recap. Files all these appeals. He gets two blank pages from the DEA uh, on his uh, request for documents. Right. What does he do next that assists him to finally get out? By the time he was at this point, he'd been behind bars for um, uh, several years. And uh, and he was the go-to guy uh, at Tucson for many, many years uh, when anybody had a legal problem. Uh, you know, you've, he, he's, he's the classic uh, jailhouse attorney who learned it, but really did learn it uh, while he was doing his time which in his case would, was forever. Uh, so he was filing um, writs and, um, uh, and uh, appeals. And, uh, For years, courts uh, uh, of appeals uh, kept rejecting him or rejecting him. And finally, he put together a uh, 60 or 70-page uh, brief uh, showing how way back when he was at the Kennedy School, he had identified fentanyl, which nobody knew anything about in the 1990s, as the uh, potentially the, the, the worst drug on the horizon and uh, suggested even then that um, the government crack down on it and uh, be wary of it because it would kill people by the thousands. He was the first guy uh, in a, a semi-official capacity to point this out. And he, he sent this brief off to uh, every member of Congress and uh, every member of the Senate, uh, as, as well as the, um, uh, the White House. That, in, in turn, led to a reevaluation of his case. And uh, uh, out of nowhere, last July, uh, a federal judge uh, gave him a, a pardon or not a pardon, but uh, put gave him a, uh, let him out on parole um, on humanitarian grounds because he was then 75 years old uh, and had had uh, some health problems. So they uh, they essentially uh, backed down on the two life sentences and turned turned him loose. And he's now. Uh, free and operating as a, a paralegal of all things in Santa Fe, New Mexico. But um, you know, the government, even after all of that, the government is still, uh, and you know, I suppose it's standard operating procedure because they can't, you know, they they can't say, well, the DEA was wrong, uh, even though you go through the case and you can point out 
you know, uh, chapter and verse where the DEA set him up, the DEA lied, the DEA suborned perjury with their star witness, uh, and the uh, the one agent um, who spearheaded the whole thing, who was given a special award by the DEA for bringing down this, this terrible criminal, you, you never hear from him ever again because uh, – he was finally caught up. The real story came out about, about uh, uh, Picard and uh, his role in, in this so-called major uh, LSD bus. Mm. Uh, it turned out to be even more of a fascinating story than I anticipated because Picard is just an incredibly in, intelligent guy uh, and a true believer. I mean, that's why his story is so incredible. He He was... In high school, he was a prodigy. He was singled out, brilliant, won national uh, awards for his scientific ability. Uh, and he dropped out of uh, Princeton after the first semester because he turned on and dropped out, just like Leary said. And he, he stuck to his guns and um, and continued to um, promote uh, psychedelic medicine throughout his entire life. At any rate, back in 1966, um, Charles Clairault, um did a 60-minute uh, a, a uh, special on uh, LSD. Uh, and what he did was he went to um, a, a hospital, a mental hospital, in uh, just outside of Baltimore. Um, and he interviewed a woman who was in for uh, what is now known as a bipolar disorder. She was manic depressive. And the uh, and a guy who was a chronic alcoholic, a guy who was so alcoholic that his own family had him committed to a mental hospital uh, at the age of 28. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he was just uh, a self-admitted, uh, complete... Um, uh, slave to the, the bottle. And um, they put him through um, uh, LSD therapy, two sessions where he dropped, um, you know, acid and then was un- under ob- observation by uh, a couple of uh, psychiatrists. And they uh, filmed all of this. So it, it became, uh, you know, it went out on in, CBS. This is way back in 1966 now, remember? Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't find the woman, the housewife who was bipolar, but I did find uh, the alcoholic. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, this was in 2010, I think I found him. And he was still living in Baltimore. Uh, he was still married to the same woman. They had three kids. Uh, two of whom went on to a career in the military, in the Marines. Um, and he uh, he had just uh, retired uh, after 40 years of, uh, of being an accountant uh, and, you know, living a, a relatively stable and happy life. And he told me that after t- dropping acid twice, he never had a drink ever again. And that uh, LSD is the only thing that he had ever heard of and had now experienced uh, that cured alcoholism. And 
you know, and there there had been a raft of uh, clinical studies that were done back in the fifties that showed this. Um, yeah, Bill W. Uh, was in that uh, camp as well. Really? From a Bill W. Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, absolutely right. And and he testified to the the efficacy of LSD uh, before he passed away. And you know, um, it uh, it it was shown way the hell back then to cure alcoholism. Now, why the hell hasn't anyone ever, you know, stepped up and said, "Hey, you know, let's at least continue the uh, the clinical studies. Let's at least." try to see whether or not this is accurate, whether this is true. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, nobody has. Uh, I mean, my suspicions is that it's because um, Big Pharma stepped in and said, hey, we can't have this because all you have to do is take it once or twice and you don't have to take it anymore. So, you know, we don't get our recurring paycheck whereas you know right well that's similar to uh, when leary was i think it was washington state or one of the states that he was uh doing a program to reduce recidivism in the penitentiary he was giving the uh, the prisoners uh, psilocybin i believe and then calcium or whatever and kind of empowering them to make decisions that were best for their life overall. Well, he went to report the progress to the warden, and the warden said, no, 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 you don't understand. And he showed him a model of the new prison that was going to hold more prisoners and employ more people. He said, this is based on repeat business. If the people aren't coming back, what do we do with the new prison Yeah, for more people? Yep. We yep. want them coming back, just like AA, keep coming back. The prison has the same right. attitude, keep coming back. Right. Well, you know, and um, they're getting uh, lots of props now, thanks to uh, the pandemic. But uh, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, all the rest uh, uh, of the big uh, drug manufacturing outfits, uh, they they can't stomach something that you take once and don't have to ever take again. And that that makes them, uh, you know, that's what irrelevant amount of business. <laughs> yeah. But, so, so you know, I mean, I, I'm more and more convinced that um, uh, that when you see something, you know, some drug vilified like this, that it's well worth taking a second and a third look because you may not be getting the whole truth. Uh, an interesting uh, little sidelight. Due to a, a injury when I was a baby, not my fault, mind you, uh, the alert center of my brain was damaged. And so by prescription, I had to take all manner of, uh, well, thank God for a medication called ProVigil, which bypasses, uh, doesn't squeeze adrenaline out of your pancreas like speed does because of the alert center of the brain. It's been a lifetime mm-hmm. for me. But in addition to that, the doctors also wanted to go uh, an old family, so it's a stimulant with it, which happened to be a very specific, medical answer to my very specific and unusual condition. But mm-hmm. wanted to write me a prescription for methamphetamine. He said it would be more effective than regular amphetamine, less side effects, but Kaiser Permanente would not let him write the prescription because it has such a bad reputation. 
but I did check what the price would be. 30, mm-hmm. okay, 30 10 milligram pills of methamphetamine, $999. Wow. For $999, I can walk out of here and in 25 minutes, I can be back with a hell of a lot of methamphetamine. <laughs> oh, I think so. That is absurd. $1,000 for a 30, 10 milligram pill, and uh, they won't give it to you anyway, even if you pay $999. Uh, they wouldn't let my doctor write the prescription until they put me on something well, similar, you know. I mean, yeah. if you need something, it's not going to cause you problems. I've never had any stress. Uh, you know, it just normalizes me. Otherwise, I'd be asleep all the time. Yeah, of course. Narcolepsy, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of people. I, I know a lawyer who, um, a very successful lawyer who has it. Uh, if, he, uh, if he didn't have something comparable to the, the cocktail that you were taking, uh, he wouldn't be practicing uh, anything but uh, snoring. That's right. I, I, the longest I slept, with not because I was tired, because I always got eight hours of sleep. I was in college. No one woke me up. After three days, someone got really worried that I hadn't ever got out of bed and came and shook me until I woke up. But aside from that, I would have just kept sleeping probably definitely because that part of my brain got damaged in the accident. So there yeah, you go. Well. Well, yeah, I, I, the, yeah. So, you know, some of this reminds me of Timothy Leary, who, of course, went to prison on his stupidest things. What his daughter's uh, marijuana <laughs> in her purse or something? Oh, they found it in her underwear. Oh, in her underwear. That's a good place to look. Probable yeah. cause to look in her underwear. We're convicting you for what you believe, what you think, yeah, which is, of course, exactly. illegal. Well, that of was course. what finally got him released. But he wasn't allowed to part of the condition of his release. Is he couldn't make a big deal out of it and talk about why. He had to keep his mouth right. shut, which he did. The condition of his release. Yeah. You know, and, and for uh, the longest time, you know, Leary was vilified by uh, people in, in the psychedelic uh, movement because uh, they believed, and, you know, it could well have been true. I don't know, but they believed that he, you know, named names as part of his uh, agreement to get out and that uh, that he may have been responsible for uh, other chemists and um, uh, suppliers being busted. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that, uh, that Leary is a, a perfect example of uh, how the government, if they decide for po- political reasons to go after you, you do, uh, will, yeah. they will come with any excuse under the sun to uh, to railroad you, and that's what they did with the car. Boy. Well, look, look at the uh, look at the um, slate of uh, best pick nominees for Oscars this year. We've got not one, but two um, major motion pictures, uh, which are essentially about uh, a government malfeasance fifty years ago. We got the Chicago Seven, uh, which was Aaron Sorkin did a, a magnificent job of showing what an asshole Hoffman was. Not Abby, but uh, the judge. Yeah. Uh, what a uh, and and you know, there's been uh, references to the judge in Picard's case, 
uh, a Kansas uh, clown, um, I think it's Richard Rogers, uh, being you know a modern day Hoffman in that uh, he he was just as oblivious to the law and as biased uh, as Hoffman was with the Chicago Seven. But the second uh, um, movie uh, that's up for an Oscar is. Uh, uh, the one in which um, uh, oh, what's it? Fred Hampton? I, it was it wasn't Hampton that was killed by the FBI. Um, oh, it's the Black Panthers. Yeah, uh, that, that darn. I wish I could remember the name, but it, it's up for an Oscar. Hampton and uh, and how the FBI targeted and essentially uh, assassinated him to, to shut him up. And well, know, then there's also the actress who uh, died. She was having an affair with. Uh, the Black Panther oh. destroyed her career and everything. Well, I'll tell you one thing I, I learned as a true crime writer and true crime investigator is you got to talk to the criminals. They give you a hell of a lot more insights than, than uh, you'd get otherwise. You just get the standard story. I read about a particular case where someone was convicted, but reading it, I could tell that he wasn't the guy. Because if what they said was true on one page, and what they said was true three pages later could not simultaneously both be true. And I saw the detective. He was a wonderful guy and a great detective. I have great respect for And I said to him, look, I showed it to him. I said, this cannot possibly be true. He can't possibly be the guy because the law enforcement itself said such and such. And yet he was convicted. And he didn't have an answer. He just looked at the floor and softly said, well, we closed the case. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I have... We're talking about your Bob Dylan book. Did you ever hear from Dylan on uh, what he thought of your uh, delineation of his various drug intakes? Um, Bob was not a, a big fan, as I understand it, but, uh, you know... Yeah, well, I, I asked uh, my, uh, my former employer and good friend who since passed away, Dick Curtis, who was Bob Dylan's tour manager... For many years, I asked him, I said, uh, who's Bob Dylan comfortable with? And he said, Bob's comfortable with anyone who doesn't remind him he's Bob Dylan. <laughs> Which I... You know, over the years, uh, people who have uh, purchased it and read it, uh, I get feedback even now from people saying, you know, like the best warts and all biography of this guy I've ever read. Uh the the problem with Dylan is that you know he's so high above all the rest of us schmucks uh, in in terms of his uh, insight and ability summarizing that uh, he's sort of um, you know deified and everyone's afraid to uh, look at his under but he can laugh at himself sometimes just, you know well yeah he, he he's never taken himself seriously I mean this is the guy who just he does not believe his own publicity. By Dennis McDougall's biography of Bob Dylan and by Operation White Rabbit. Everything you need to know about LSD without taking it. Thanks for being with us, Dennis. Join us again next week on True Crime Uncensored. Mm-hmm.